And uh, I want to pick up where I left off along those lines. And let's, uh, let's move forward from there. I'm going to finish up last week's message and then move forward from there. But we talked about, let me just go over some titles. We talked about money. And we said money is not yours, it's God's. And number two, we talked about prayer ministry. We talked about appropriate rules and, and just guidelines when it comes to prayer. And men praying for men, women praying for women. And, you know, you don't always have to touch a certain part of the person to, uh, for the prayer to be effective. And use breath mints. <laughs> uh, I think that's important. Um, children's ministry. Of course, uh, you know, just the, the main, main tenet of children's ministry is the two-adult rule is that you always want to have two adults around the kids and, and uh, you don't want to send one uh, adult off with the kids to the bathroom when one adult stays with two or three kids and one adult takes two or three to the bathroom. No, everybody goes together. Everybody goes together and then one person kind of scouts out the bathroom first, makes sure that there's no adults in there and then comes back out and then all the kids go in and then they all come back out and then you all go back to the classroom. And that way... You never have one adult alone with one kid or, or that sort of a situation. So you just, you, you as, a, as a teacher, you never want to be alone with the kids. You bring, bring somebody else in there with you, even if, if it's difficult, bring a, bring a friend or relative or something like that. But just always try to figure out a way to have two adults with the kids, if, you, if at all possible. Check-in and check-out systems are also very, very important. That the person who checks in the child is the person who checks out the child. Don't just turn the kids loose at the end of the, you know, the kids will start saying, hey, it's 12 o'clock, it's 11.30, it's whatever time. My mom said, meet me in the, you, if that's the last child, take them by their hand or the last two children and walk them in and physically hand them off to the parent if, if necessary. Or better yet, and, and then when you do that, remind the parents, hey, you know, I'm back there with the kids, come get little Johnny so that we don't have to do this again. But uh, make sure that handoff is clear. Don't just turn them loose. Because you're responsible if there's an accident between the time you turned them loose and the time the parent comes up for air from prayer or whatever they were doing, fellowship or what have you. So you're responsible. So you don't just turn the kids loose. All right. And then we talked about uh, guest ministers and pastors, some etiquette when it comes to guest ministers and taking care of a, a guest minister and honoring a guest minister. Basically, it's just... Don't assume anything. Talk about everything with a guest minister so that the guest minister knows what, uh, what to expect and what you're planning to do and what they're going to receive and, on, and all that sort of thing. So talk to your guest ministers and, and really work things out uh, beforehand so that uh, when you say goodbye at the end of the day or whatever it is, they're pleased, you're pleased, and there's nothing left unsaid or unspoken or, or there's no, um, nobody's violated any rules. And then we talked about receiving uh, people into your church or into your ministry. You interview their former pastor. What happened? Why are you coming over here? What's going on? Uh, very important. If you're starting a new church, you do it with the pastor's blessing, and you do it 30 minutes away. Otherwise, you're causing a church split, and it's not an honor to God, and it's not going to work. Uh, just don't even think about it. I mean, what a mess. So you do it with, uh, with the pastor's help. You do it with two or three years for knowledge. And you don't just say, two months, I'm going to go start a church, and I'm going to take the worship leader with me. That's a church split, and we don't do that. Don't be uh, starting, starting your new ministry with somebody else's sheep. What's that? It's a church split. We don't do that. 
And then pastors promote faithfulness. They don't promote talent. Talent without faithfulness is a disaster waiting to happen. Somebody will just come up and they'll just become the most anointed, the most super duper whatever, and they just blow up. And a lot of people get hurt. And so you promote faithfulness, not talent. Because otherwise you just get somebody who goes and then he just pops like a balloon. It's interesting, you know, successful older ministries, you kind of meet the people and you're kind of wondering, well, how come, you know, some of these people in this position, in that position, how come they're not superstars? No, really they are. They're superstars when it comes to faithfulness. And maybe you can do something better than they are, than they can. But they're in that position because they were faithful. And the pastor could trust them. And they follow a leadership. And they, they, they receive instruction. And they're, they're easy to work with. And, and those are the people that get promoted. And those are the people that a pastor wants to work with. A pastor does not want to work with your superstar ability. What he wants is your superstar faithfulness. So let's go to spiritual gifts and offices. Mark Hankins said this about the prophet's ministry. He says, you're not a prophet unless you make a living at it. You're not a prophet unless you can make a living at it. Kenneth Hagin said it this way, a prophet has been in the full-time occupation and office of a pastor or teacher for at least 10 years before he is in the full-fledged office of a prophet. Now, can you be used in prophetic gifting from day one? Absolutely. As soon as you're born again, you, God can begin to use you in prophetic gifts. Does that make you a prophet? No. But you can, all can prophesy. And it says, earnestly seek spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. It doesn't say, earnestly become a prophet. It says, earnestly seek the spiritual gifts. Seek that you may prophesy and edify the church. We can all prophesy. And he says, you know, let them do it one at a time, and we can all prophesy. It's commonplace in the New Testament church. But the office and position of a prophet was something more rare and different. Today, there's a lot. It's very popular to talk about the prophetic, which is not a Bible word. There is, the prophetic is never used in the Bible. And so what happens is when you take a term like the prophetic and use it frequently, and then people start to sort of accept it, then you can attach all kinds of non-biblical things to your non-biblical title. And you get a lot of squirrels and raccoons and all kinds of weird stuff going on in church. I mean, it just gets... Once you detach from the Word of God, then you can attach this, which attaches to that, which attach... You're out... You can get into stuff that's off base. In our circles, we don't use the word the prophetic. We use Bible terms. Word of knowledge, word of wisdom, prophecy, speaking in tongues, tongues and interpretation. If we stay with Bible terms, we're going to stay with... We're going to stay on solid ground. And we're going to use spiritual gifts wisely and not strangely. Amen? Amen? And now, I love spiritual gifts, and we want them, but we're not going to quench them by being so legalistic, but at the same time, we're not going to abuse them by using, by starting with wrong terminology, which can lead to a wrong conclusion. It happens. Apostles are ones who have planted several churches, not just someone who claims a territory. This, is, this has happened. Pastors have gotten phone calls, and the big apostle says, I'm the apostle over this geographic region. 
And do you want to submit to my spiritual wonderfulness and come under our mantle and receive our covering? And ooh. And it's a power game. It's a power game, and, and it's, not, it's not Bible. Let me give you an example of an apostle. An apostle is somebody like our minister who we were under in, in Burma, who this gentleman, Christopher Alam, planted the Bible school in Burma, holds regular evangelistic crusades in Burma, has trained up Bible school, has trained up pastors in Burma, supports them financially from his ministry in Burma, holds crusades at, at the risk of his own life. He's had death threats and all kinds of stuff, but he holds crusades there, and he supports the churches that he's planted there. Do you see how he's under and supporting and undergirding and equipping and caring for these churches? as opposed to the guy who calls you up on the phone and says, I want you to tithe to my ministry or something like that because I'm the spiritual oogie-oogie over your neighborhood. <laughs> you know, it's just nuts. Okay, so an apostle is someone who, who got the thing started and continues to nourish it and support it in some way, shape, or form, whether it's in prayer or, or, or what have you, and that's, that's the apostle's ministry. Pastors and prophets were not given to the church to run people's lives. God has given everyone a measure of the Holy Spirit. That We've seen abuses in the pastor's office. We've seen abuses in the prophet's office where people take their position of authority and begin directing people. And people come to them for decisions. Should I marry so-and-so or should I marry so-and-so? Uh, should I buy the white car or the red car? Should I... Stop that. That's, that's, you go to the Holy Spirit for this stuff. Now, it's not a bad idea to counsel with a pastor for, for many things, but you be led by the Holy Spirit. You be led by the Spirit of God, and you don't give somebody else. It's not up to your pastor or up to the prophet whether you buy the white car or the red car. Uh, it is between you and, the, between you and God, and, the, and you have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you, and he'll show you whether the red car or the white car. Or, oftentimes, Gigi and I have found where he says, you choose. <laughs> don't, don't be a charismaniac, you know, you know, just what do you want? It's, it's up to you. And then Gigi's learned this, and she says, which one's best, Lord? Often gets an answer. Don't give, you do want, you do need people in your life. You do need authority in your life. You do need uh, leaders, and, and you do need to su uh, submit important decisions, moving and things like that, to, for prayer and, and counsel with authority and things like that. But ultimately, your decision to make a move or your job decision, stuff like that, is your decision. And you receive counsel from a pastor, and you should submit it to a pastor. But at the same time, it's between you and God. And if it goes well or doesn't go well, you're not going to blame somebody else. You're not going to blame a human about that. It's your, it's your decision. We've had people come to us in, in church, and, and they've asked us for counsel about a job or uh, real important things. We prayed with him, and I said, bottom line, it's between you and God. I am not going to tell you what job to take. I'm not going to tell you what not to. If I get a strong check or something like that, I'll tell you. But at the same time, it's between you and God. And don't, some people don't want the responsibility for their own lives. And so they'll, they'll hand it to somebody else just because they don't want to take the blame if it doesn't go well. And then they can blame you. 
And so you don't, you don't take that role. I'll pray with you. Let's pray. Let's pray, and I'll tell you what I'm getting, but ultimately it's up to you. Okay, so one extreme is somebody who won't take responsibility for their life and wants you to take responsibility for their life. What should I do? And then if it doesn't go well, I'm going to come back and be mad at you and blame you for, for what goes on in my life. Then on the other hand is, is somebody who, who really should be under authority, should be under a pastor's care, but makes all their decisions without ever consulting their pastor, without ever talking to somebody, could have made better decisions, could have seen it from another angle with wise counsel, with a little more prayer, and things like that. So do you see how you can make it? There's two extremes. One who just, somebody who never goes to anybody else and never talks to anybody, just doesn't want to, doesn't want anybody else's input, won't let anybody else's input. You know, just, I'm an American and I can make my, I'm a guy, I make my own decisions, or I'm a girl and I'm very private, and I just not, some things are just private, you know, and that kind of stuff. It's just one way or the other. And so there's the extreme over there, and then there's the extreme over here, where it's just sort of like, I don't know, you know, what should I do? That kind of stuff. And then they, they're going to, but, but it's a trap. Because, you know, as soon as you walk into that trap, you know, then they may sort of, they're not going to take responsibility for their own stuff. You got the Holy Ghost. Learn to trust him in little things. And then when the big stuff comes up, you'll understand the voice of the Holy Spirit. But when we're resisting him on the little stuff, it's really hard to know what to do in the big stuff, isn't it? The Bible is really an Eastern book, and it glorifies something called apprenticeship. Roger mentioned Elijah and Elisha, Joshua and Moses, Jesus and his disciples. That's apprenticeship. And what we've seen in our generation is people like Keith Moore serving Kenneth Hagin for 15 solid years without a salary, working outside jobs, doing whatever it took, and just, just getting by at a you know, near poverty level to just serve this ministry and serve this ministry and serve this ministry and then and having getting, getting offers for the last 10 years of a 15-year walk. Come pastor here. Come do this. Come do that. Come do this. Here's a salary. Here's, here's money. Here's money. Come, come, come do this. But just staying at a very low level until, until then the Lord said, until the Lord said, now, his time. And when Keith Moore started his first church, he, start, he opened his first church with a 2,000-seat auditorium, filled it up. Apprenticeship has some results, doesn't it? It has some benefits. Joel Osteen serving his father, serving his father, serving his father. I'm just going to stay behind a bit. I'm going to stay behind a TV camera. And he was fine doing that all his life. I mean, he's married to this beauty queen wife, and he's and she's like, you know, come on, Joel, you know, we're going to film your dad all your life. And he's like, yeah, yeah. You sure? Yeah. No, I'm just going to film my dad. That's, that's what I'm going to do. And he was content with it and stayed there in that place, just, just happy there. And then preaches his first sermon, and everybody's like, yeah, he's got it. Now he's got this, now he's in the, what's it, the Houston Astrodome or Superdome or Compact Center. And they fill it up. It's gorgeous. Got all those lights on the ceiling and... and I mean, just the remodel on the place was, was millions and millions of dollars. and It's amazing where he's gone. Apprenticeship. And really, tremendous success stories of apprenticeship in America. You know, just in the real estate community, there have been people in, uh, who, who sell real estate who do extremely well. People who make just tons of money. And then somebody just knows what they're supposed to do, and they just come in there, and they're just their gopher. 
and they get coffee and they get spit on and they get they go get the don't take their their dry cleaning out for them and they go get lunch for them and they just they just do really menial tasks for years and years and years and years and years and then pretty soon they step right into that same position you know their first year is a half million dollar year and their next year goes better than that and all they did was they just got coffee for the big shot for enough years and they learned all the tricks, they learned all the steps, and their first year was a half million dollar year. It's apprenticeship. So many things are learned by association. John Wimber, for instance. John Wimber, who is the founder of the, of the Vineyard Movement, and really an important worship movement in the body of Christ. John Wimber knew that he had received a gift of healing, and knew that he was called to, to teach, knew that he was called to do certain things, knew that he was called into the healing ministry, John Wimber went and found, but went and found this guy who was the most anointed guy in the charismatic movement of the late 70s and early 80s. He went and started working with this guy. And we've known people that had met him. And uh, this guy had these piercing blue eyes, Lonnie Frisbee, and long, long hair, and he's just a hippie. And Lonnie Frisbee was this enormously anointed nutcase hippie. But Lonnie Frisbee was just incredibly annoying. There was just this huge gift in this guy. And so Wimber just piled around with him and just started walking around with him. And Wimber remembers where well, he tells a story about one day they went to a hot dog vendor and the hot dog vendor had one good arm and one arm that was only this long. The hand was right here. And he was kind of doing everything with sort of with one hand and, and then he'd kind of work over here and it was really kind of awkward. But, and, and Wimber just, the Spirit of God came on him. He was working there with Lonnie Frisbee and he just reached out and he grabbed that guy's withered hand and it just grew out immediately right there on the spot wow. he says the spirit of faith just came on him and he grabbed that hand it grew out completely and John Wimber in his you know in his cool kind of California musician kind of ways Hawaiian shirt you know open to hear chewing gum and of course he did just what anybody would normally do he wet his pants <laughs> the power of God flows through, his arm grows out, you know. <laughs> Praise the Lord. And so in their first service together, Lonnie Frisbee and John Wimber, and uh, <laughs> Lonnie Frisbee says, Holy Spirit, come. <laughs> Throws up his arms like this, and the whole worship team behind him falls to the ground <laughs> and the front row falls out and and it's just he, we walked in that much power the the worship team goes down and the front row goes out <laughs> and when the worship team fell down all of the music stands and the microphone stands and all the black gear and everything that all goes down and when the music stands fall I mean it just makes a racket on the floor not only that the microphones were still on <laughs> and this, this, somebody hits the floor, the microphone's still on, and he starts shouting in tongues as he's kind of kicking on the floor <laughs> into the microphone. So all the people go out, somebody's on the floor shouting in tongues, like this, and that, that's just booming over the thing. <laughs> the front row's out, the second through the twelfth rows are leaving. <laughs> they're heading for the doors. <laughs> and there are people climbing over pews and stuff like that. And Lonnie Frisbee's walking back going, Oh, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. <laughs> and they're falling out. And the next one <laughs> This pandemonium. Wimber got the anointing by association and by serving somebody and coming under somebody. In our era, 
well, actually, kind of a little bit of an era gone by, is R.W. Schambach. R.W. Schambach, I think, is one of the, the most entertaining preachers in the body of Christ. He served under A.A. A. Allen for many, many, many years. He was the associate evangelist under A.A. A. Allen for many, many years. And A.A. A. Allen, according to Schambach, was part, um, <laughs> part P.T. Barnum and part um, Spike Jones. <laughs> He said, he said, he said that, that was, that's how he described A.A. Allen. Spike Jones was a comedy um, uh, big band leader in, in his day. And Schambach served under that man for years and years and years. And when he, start, when he went out, I mean, he ended up having a, a tremendous ministry. Apprenticeship is a great thing. There's a key word in apprenticeship. It's loyalty. Loyalty. Faithfulness is just one part of it. But you haven't heard the whole story until you add the word loyalty to faithfulness. Loyalty is when you see something that you wouldn't do it that way. You wouldn't have responded. Like, for instance, when Jesus answered the woman not a word, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus didn't even talk to her. Loyalty is the disciples not saying anything. You see, I mean, there's, a, there's this sort of tendency in our human nature going, come on, you know, listen. Hey, yo. He's talking to you. Loyalty says, if he's not saying nothing, I'm not saying nothing. If he's not talking to her, I'm not talking to her. And Jesus says, I was only sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I'm not sent to this. It's the dispensation. I've got my marching orders. I've got my instructions from heaven. And Jesus is being absolutely 100% perfectly true to his calling. And he's being 100% pleasing to God while it looks like he's being a jerk. Loyalty stays completely under authority keeps their mouth shut, and has no opinion about it. Something, we don't have to develop an opinion. I don't understand it. I don't have an opinion. I might have gone a different direction, but that's just me. Boss didn't go that direction. I'll know at some point later on. I used to be very critical at a point of, of big-time ministers who would walk out after the fourth song of praise and worship. Hey, man, I had to go through all three songs here, and you know, I'm, I, you know I've been here working on the anointing and getting things in, you know, I, you know, I've done 20 minutes of praise and worship, made a big shot. You can't just walk out from that back room and go up there and praise the Lord, uh-huh, you know, shake hands with the other people on the podium. And, and then I find out that you really do need to protect your spirit and protect your anointing and protect your focus before you speak. People will do the weirdest things. The devil works through people. You know, I mean, he, he comes to Thanksgiving dinners. He comes to, you know, I mean, he, he, you know that. So you know he works through people, right? You know, so, so you've seen it. So pastors who are just about to step up to the podium get tackled by sister important thing, you know, and she just dumps on the pastor about some horrible rape, molestation, disgusting thing that just happened to you. No. To your daughter? No. I just read about it in the newspaper. It happened in New Jersey. Ah, I didn't need to know that just before I'm going up to speak. And, but people will do that to a minister just before they're going up to speak. And so 2,000 people in the congregation, a lot of times the pastor stays in the back room. He's hiding. That's okay. We want that. It's okay because he's protecting the anointing so he can bless you. Oh, all right. I'll shut up. So there are some things that if you don't understand, just keep your mouth shut, don't have an opinion about it, 
not there. That's not loyalty. Says nothing. That's the anointed man of God. You know, don't you ask questions like that. Don't don't call me up about it. I'm not going to tell you anything new about it. Shame on you for asking a critical question like that. I'm not going to comment on it. This is an anointed man of God. If he if he didn't answer, if he didn't answer the the Samaritan woman. He had his reasons. We'll leave it at that. You don't have to know everything. Is that all right? Amen. Do you get it? Yeah. Are we there? Mm -hmm. Praise God. All right. Mm.